The Savior perceived the strength or weakness in the faith of those around him. To one he said approvingly, Great is thy faith. He lamented to another, O ye of little faith. He questioned others, Where is your faith? And Jesus distinguished yet another with, In all Israel I have not found so great faith. I ask myself, How does the Savior see my faith? And tonight I ask you, How does the Savior see your faith? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is not something ethereal, floating loosely in the air. Faith does not fall upon us by chance nor stave it with us by birthright. It is, as the scriptures say, substance, the evidence of things not seen. Faith emits a spiritual light, and that light is discernible. Faith in Jesus Christ is a gift from heaven that comes as we choose to believe and as we seek it and hold on to it. Your faith is either growing stronger or it's becoming weaker. Faith is a principle of power, important not only in this life but in our progression beyond the veil. By the grace of Christ, we will one day be saved through faith on His name. The future of your faith is not by chance, but by choice. A month ago in Brazil, I met Araldo Cavacanchi. He was baptized at age 21, the first member of the Church in his family. His faith burned brightly, and he immediately began preparing to serve a mission. Sadly, Araldo's mother was diagnosed with cancer. Three months later, only days before she died, she spoke to Araldo of her greatest concern. There were no relatives to help. Araldo would need to take full responsibility for his two younger sisters and his younger brother. He solemnly made this promise to his dying mother. By day he worked in a bank, and at night he attended the university. He continued to keep his baptismal covenants, but his hopes for a full-time mission were gone. His mission would be caring for his family. Months later, while preparing a sacrament meeting talk, Araldo st- studied the words of Samuel, who reprovingly spoke to King Saul and saying, To obey is better than to sacrifice. Araldo received the seemingly impossible impression that he needed to obey the prophet's call to serve a mission. Undaunted by the obstacles before him, he moved forward with enormous faith. Araldo saved every Brazilian cruzeiro he could. At age 23, he received his mission call. He told his brother how much to withdraw each month from his account for the family. Araldo still did not have enough money to pay the full cost of his mission and the living expenses for his brother and sisters, but with faith he entered the MTC. A week later, he received the first of many blessings. The bank that had employed Elder Cavalcanchi unexpectedly doubled the money he was to receive as he concluded his work. This miracle, along with others, provided the needed income for his mission and his family during his absence. 
Twenty years later, Brother Cavalcanti is now serving as the president of the Recife Brazil Boaviagem Stake. Looking back, he said of those days, As I tried to live righteously, I felt the Savior's love and guidance. My faith grew, allowing me to overcome many challenges. Araldo's faith did not come by chance, but by choice. There are many Christian men and women with deep faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we honor and respect them. But, brethren, we have been given something more—the priesthood of God, the power of God restored to earth by holy angels. This makes you different. You no longer stand on neutral ground. Your faith will grow not by chance, but by choice. How we live our lives increases or diminishes our faith. Prayer, obedience, honesty, purity of thought and deed, and unselfishness increase faith. Without these, faith diminishes. Why did the Savior say to Peter, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not? Because there is an adversary who delights in destroying our faith. Be relentless in protecting your faith. Addressing honest questions is an important part of building faith, and we use both our intellect and our feelings. The Lord said, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart. Not all answers will come immediately, but most questions can be resolved through sincere study and seeking answers from God. Using our mind without our heart will not bring spiritual answers. The things of God knoweth no man but through the Spirit of God. And to help us, Jesus promised us another comforter and called it even the Spirit of Truth. Faith never demands an answer to every question, but seeks the assurance and courage to move forward, sometimes acknowledging, I don't know everything but I do know enough to continue on the path of discipleship. Immersing oneself in persistent doubt, fueled by answers from the faithless and the unfaithful, weakens one's faith in Jesus Christ and the Restoration. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. For example, the questions concerning the Prophet Joseph Smith are not new. They have been hurled by his critics since this work began. To those of faith who, looking through the colored glasses of the 21st century, honestly question events or statements of the Prophet Joseph from nearly 200 years ago, may I share some friendly advice? For now, give Brother Joseph a break. In a future day, you will have 100 times more information than from all of today's search engines combined, and it will come from our all-knowing Father in Heaven. Consider the totality of Joseph's life. Born in poverty, given little formal education, he translated the Book of Mormon in less than 90 days. 
Tens of thousands of honest, devoted men and women embraced the cause of the Restoration. And at age 38, Joseph sealed his witness with his blood. I testify that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. Settle this in your mind and move forward. Both the Bible and the Book of Mormon give us the beautiful assurance that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I hold in my hand a copy of the first edition of the Book of Mormon in French, published by John Taylor as he began the work in France in 1852. Some or all of the Book of Mormon is now in 110 languages across the world. It provides a spiritual and tangible witness of the truthfulness of the Restoration. When was the last time that you read the Book of Mormon from cover to cover? Read it again. It will increase your faith. Another gift from God that enlarges our faith is the guidance of the First Presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve. Today we sustained three new members of the Twelve, and I welcome Elder Rasband, Elder Stevenson, Elder Renlin to this sacred circle of the Quorum of the Twelve. Paul said he called apostles and prophets for the perfecting of the saints till all come in unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, no more tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the cunning craftiness of those who lie in wait to deceive. The guidance of the First Presidency and the Twelve help protect our faith. Although your beginning fire of faith may be small, righteous choices bring greater confidence in God, and your faith grows. The difficulties of mortality blow against you, and evil forces lurk in the darkness, hoping to extinguish your faith. But as you continue to make good choices, trust in God and follow His Son, the Lord sends increased light and knowledge, and your faith becomes settled and unwavering. President Thomas S. Monson said, Fear not, the future is as bright as your faith. The faith of the young men of this Church is remarkable. On June 12th of this year, I received an email telling me that the bishop from a Utah ward his wife and two of their children had been killed in an airplane accident. Bishop Mark Openshaw had been piloting the plane as it left a small airfield when it suddenly fell from the sky and crashed to the earth. Bishop Openshaw, his wife Amy, and their children Tanner and Ellie were killed in the accident. Miraculously, their five-year-old son Max, thrown out of the airplane in his airplane seat, escaped with only broken bones. I learned that their son, Elder Porter Openshaw, was serving in the Marshall Islands Majuro Mission, and that their 17-year-old son, Zane, was on a school cultural exchange in Germany. I called Elder Openshaw on Christmas Island. Although heartbroken by the unexpected death of his mother, father, brother, and sister, Elder Openshaw's concern immediately turned to his two younger brothers. 
Ultimately, it was Elder Openshaw and his brother Zane who decided that others could help at home and that Porter should stay on his mission. They knew it was what their parents would want. As I spoke with Elder Openshaw, I felt his sadness, but also his unquenchable fire of faith. I have the confidence, he told me, and I know without a shadow of a doubt that I will see my family again. Strength in our trials is always found in our Lord Jesus Christ. God's omnipotent hand has been so apparent in helping me and my brothers throughout this very difficult challenge. I met Zane for the first time at the funeral. As I looked at the four caskets before us in the chapel, I marveled at the faith of this 17-year-old as he addressed the congregation. Today, he said, we have gathered with humble hearts and weary souls to remember the lives of my mom, dad, Tanner, and Ellie. We have talked together, cried together, remembered together, and felt the hand of God together. The day after I heard the news of the accident, I found a letter in my bag from my mom. In the letter, she wrote, Zane, remember who you are and where you come from. We will be praying for you and missing you. Zane continued, There could not be a more fitting, lasting words from my mother. I know that she, along with Tanner, Ellie, and my dad, are praying for my brothers and me. I know that they pray that I remember who I am, because I, like you, am a child of God, and He has sent me here. I testify, no matter how alone we feel, God will not forsake us. My dear friends, your faith did not begin at birth, and it will not end at death. Faith is a choice. Strengthen your faith and live to be deserving of the Savior's approving words, Great is thy faith. As you do, I promise you that your faith, through the grace of Jesus Christ, will one day allow you to stand with those you love, clean and pure in the presence of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. My beloved brethren, how good it is to be with you once again. We've been inspired this evening by the words which we've heard. I pray that I, too, will be guided in what I say. My message to you tonight is straightforward. It is this. Keep the commandments. God's commandments are not given to frustrate or to become obstacles to our happiness. Just the opposite is true. He who created us and who loves us perfectly knows just what we need and when we need it in order to obtain the greatest happiness possible. He's provided us with guidelines which, if we follow them, will see us safely through this treacherous mortal journey. We remember the words of the familiar hymn, Keep the Commandments. In this there is safety. In this there is peace.
Close quote. Our Heavenly Father loves us enough to say, Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, and so on. We know the commandments. He understands that when we keep the commandments, our lives will be happier, more fulfilling, and less complicated. Our challenges and problems will be easier to bear, and we will receive His promised blessings. While He gives us laws and commandments, He also allows us to choose whether to accept them or to reject them. Our decisions in this regard will determine our destiny. I'm confident that each of us has as his ultimate goal life everlasting in the presence of our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. It's an imperative, therefore, for us to make choices, make choices throughout our lives that will lead us to this great goal. We know, however, that the adversary is committed to our failure. He and his hosts are relentless in their efforts to thwart our righteous desires. They represent a grave and constant threat to our eternal salvation unless we are also relentless in our determination and efforts to achieve our goal. The Apostle Peter warns us, Be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Although there is no time in our lives when we see except from contention, You young men are at an age when you may be particularly vulnerable. Teenage years are often years of insecurity, of feeling as though you don't measure measure up, of trying to find your place with your peers, and of trying to fit in. You may be tempted to lower your standards and follow the crowd in order to be accepted by those you desire to have as your friends. Please be strong and be alert to anything that would rob you of the blessings of eternity. The choices you make here and now are forever important. We read in 1 Corinthians, and I quote, There are so many kinds of voices in the world, (laughs) close quote, We're surrounded by persuasive voices, beguiling voices, belittling voices, sophisticated voices, and confusing voices. I might add that these are loud voices. I admonish you to turn the volume down and to be influenced instead by that still, small voice which will guide you to safety. Remember that one with authority places hands on your head after you are baptized, confirming you a member of the Church and saying, Receive 
the Holy Ghost. Open your hearts, even your very souls, to the sound of that special voice which testifies of truth. As the prophet Isaiah promised, thine ears shall hear a word saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. May we ever be in tune that we might hear this comforting, guiding voice which will keep us safe. Disregard for the commandments has opened the way for what I consider to be the plagues of our day. They include the plague of permissiveness, the plague of pornography, the plague of drugs, the plague of abortion, to name just a few. The scriptures tell us, and I quote, that the adversary is the founder of all these things. Close quote. We know that he is the father of all lies, to deceive and to blind men. I plead with you to avoid anything that will deprive you of your happiness here in mortality and eternal life in the world to come. With his deceptions and lies, the adversary will lead you down a slippery slope to your destruction if you allow him to do so. You will likely be on that slippery slope before you even realize that there's no way to stop. You have heard the message of the adversary. He cunningly calls, just this once won't matter. Everyone is doing it. Don't be old-fashioned. Times have changed. It can't hurt anyone. Your life is yours to live. The adversary knows us. And he knows the temptations which will difficult, be difficult for us to ignore. How vital it is that we exercise constant vigilance in order to avoid giving in to such lies and temptations. Great courage will be required as we remain faithful and true amid the ever-increasing pressures and insidious influences with which we are surrounded and which distort the truth, tear down the good and the decent, and attempt to substitute the man-made philosophies of the world. Commandments have been written by man than to change them by inclination or legislation or by any other means would be the prerogative of man. The commandments, however, were God-given. Using our agency, we can set them aside. We cannot, however, change them, just as we cannot change the consequences which come from disobeying and breaking them. May we realize that our greatest happiness in this life will come as we follow God's commandments and obey His law. I love the words found in Isaiah chapter 32, verse 13, and I quote, The work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance 
forever. Close quote. Such peace, such assurance can come only through righteousness. We cannot allow ourselves the slightest bit of leeway in dealing with sin. We cannot allow ourselves to believe that we can participate just a little in disobeying the commandments of God, for the sin can grab us with an iron hand from which it excruciatingly be painful to free ourselves. The addictions which can come from drugs, alcohol, pornography, and immorality are real and are nearly impossible to break without great struggle and much help. If any of you has stumbled in his journey, I assure you that there is a way back. The process is called repentance. Although the path is difficult, your eternal salvation depends on it. What could be more worthy of your efforts? I plead with you to determine right here and now to take the steps necessary to fully repent. The sooner you do so, the sooner you will be able to experience the peace and the quietness and the assurance spoken of by Isaiah. A short while ago, I heard the testimony of a woman who, with her husband, stayed and then strayed from the path of safety, breaking commandments, and in the process nearly destroying their family. When each of them could finally see through the thick haze of addiction and recognize how unhappy their lives had become, as well as much they were hurting their loved ones, they began to change. The repentance process felt slow and was at times painful. But with the help of priesthood leaders, along with help from family and loyal friends, they made their way back. I share with you a portion of this sister's testimony of the healing power of repentance. End quote. How does someone go from being one of the lost sheep and gripped by sin to this peace and happiness we now feel? How does that happen? The answer is because of a perfect gospel, a perfect son, and his sacrifice for me. Where there was darkness, there's no light. Where there was despair and pain, there's joy and hope. We've been infinitely blessed by the change that can come only through repentance made possible by the Atonement of Jesus Christ. Our Savior died to provide you and me that blessed gift. Despite the fact that the path is difficult, the promise is real, said the Lord to those who repent, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, and I will remember them no more. Throughout our lives, we'll need to nurture strong testimonies by studying the scriptures and by praying 
and by pondering the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When firmly planted, our testimonies of the gospel of the Savior and of our Heavenly Father will influence all that we do. I testify that all of us are beloved sons of our Father in Heaven, sent to earth at this day and time for a purpose and given the priesthood of God so that we can serve others and perform God's work here upon the earth. We've been commanded to live our lives so that we remain worthy to possess that priesthood. My brethren, may we keep the commandments. Wonderful and glorious are the rewards which are in store for us if we do. May this be our blessing, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. My beloved brethren, we are grateful that the Lord has called Elder Ronald A. Rasband, Elder Gary E. Stevenson, and Elder Dale G. Renland as apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hearts, our prayers, and our faith sustain them. We know of their great capacity, yet they will need reassurance in their calls, as we all do that the Lord is with them in His work. The newest deacon needs that confidence, as does the most experienced high priest who receives a new call. That confidence grows as you come to see that He called you through His servants. My encouragement tonight is to help you know that when you do your part, the Lord adds His power to your efforts. Any calling we receive in the Lord's kingdom requires more than our human judgment and our personal powers. Those calls require help from the Lord, which will come. Even the new deacon will learn that is true, and he will go on learning over the years. One of my grandsons is here tonight in his first priesthood meeting. He was ordained a deacon six days ago. He may expect that his first performance of a priesthood duty will be passing the sacrament next Sunday. My prayer is that he will see that moment as it really is. He may think that his work for the Lord then is to pass the sacrament tray to people seated in the sacrament meeting. But the Lord's purpose is not simply to have people partake of bread and water. It is to have them keep a covenant that will move them along the path to eternal life. And for that to happen, the Lord must give a spiritual experience to the person to whom the deacon offers the tray. I have seen that happen once in a care center when a deacon leaned forward to pass the tray to a white-haired lady. She looked at the bread as if it were precious. I have never forgotten her smile. 
as she partook and then reached up to pat the deacon's head, saying quite loudly, Oh, thank you. That deacon was simply performing his priesthood duty. Yet the Lord multiplied the deacon's act. It was evident that the sister remembered the Savior as she expressed sincere gratitude for a deacon's service. She was reassured as he served the sacrament to her that she would have the Spirit to be with her. She was not alone that day in the care center. Neither was the deacon alone in his modest service. A young teacher in the Aaronic Priesthood may not sense, as he goes to teach a family, that he is a partner with the Lord in his work. I remember still the simple testimony of a young home teaching companion who came into our home. The Spirit confirmed his words to me and to my family. He may not remember that day, but I do. The Lord will magnify the efforts of a young man again when he is called to become a priest. The first baptism he performs may be of a young person, for instance, that he does not know. He may be worried about whether he will say the right words and perform the ordinance correctly. But the Lord, whose servant he is, will magnify his calling. The person he baptizes has chosen to move along the path to eternal life. The Lord will do his greater part. He did it for me once when the boy I baptized, tears streaming down his face, said in my ear, I'm clean, I'm clean. As you move from one priesthood service to another, you will see the Lord is in the work with you. I learned this where I was in a meeting with an elders quorum president sitting there in a state conference years ago. In the conference, there were more than 40 names presented of men who were to receive the Melchizedek priesthood. I was sitting on the stand, and I leaned over to the state president, and he whispered to me, those men were all less active prospective elders. In amazement, I asked the president what his program was to rescue these men. He pointed to a young man in the back of the chapel. He said, there he is. Most of these men have been brought back because of that elders quorum president. (laughs) He was on the back row, I remember clearly, I could see him, you know how sometimes the back row is where you can see, dressed casually, his legs stretched out with his battered boots crossed in front of him. I asked the stake president to introduce me to him after the meeting. When we met, I told the young man I was surprised by what he had done and asked him how he did it. He shrugged his shoulders. He obviously didn't think he deserved any credit. Then he said softly, quote, I know every inactive guy in this town. Most of them have pickup trucks. I have a truck, too. I wash my pickup where they wash theirs. In time, they become my friends. Then I wait until something goes wrong in their lives. It always does. (laughs) They tell me about it. I listen, and I don't find fault. Then when they say, there's something wrong in my life, 
There just has to be something better than this. I tell them what it is and where they can find it. And sometimes they believe me. And when they do, I take them with me. You can see why he was modest. It was because he knew he had done his small part and the Lord was doing the rest. It was the Lord who touched the hearts of those men in their troubles. It was the Lord who had given them the feeling that there must be something better for them and a hope that they could find it. The young man who, like you, was a servant of the Lord, simply believed that if he did his small part, the Lord would help these men along the path to home and to the happiness only he could give them. These men also knew the Lord had called him, as he's called you, that quorum present, because he would do his part. There will be times in your service when you won't have the remarkable and visible success of that young elders quorum present. That is the time when you will need to be confident that the Lord, knowing you, would do your part in the work, called you through his authorized servants. Having faith in the call from the Lord's servants was crucial in the missionary service of my great-grandfather, Henry Eyring. He was baptized on March 11, 1855. Keep track of these dates now. It's going to matter. That'll be on the final exam. He was, he was baptized on March 11, 1855, March 11, in St. Louis, Missouri. Erastus Snow ordained him to the office of a priest shortly thereafter. Orson Spencer called him to serve a mission to the Cherokee Nation on October 6th. He was ordained an elder on October 11th. He left on horseback for the Cherokee Mission on October 24th. He was 20 years old and a convert of only seven months. If any priesthood holder had a reason to feel unqualified or unprepared, it was Henry Eyring. The only reason he could have had the courage to go was that he knew in his heart that God had called him through his authorized servants. It was the source of his courage. That must be the source of our courage to persevere, whatever our callings in the priesthood. After Elder Eyring had served for three difficult years, and upon the death of the mission president, Henry was nominated and sustained as the president of the mission in a meeting held on October 6, 1858. He was surprised and as shocked as a new deacon would be. He wrote in his journal, It was quite unexpected to me to be called to that responsible office, but as it was the will of the brethren, I cheerfully accepted, feeling at the same time my great weakness and lack of experience. The now President Eyring traveled to the Cherokee, Creek, and Choctaw nations. Through his efforts, the Lord added, as Henry recorded, a number to the Church. He organized two branches, but noted that, quote, very few are alive in the cause, close quote. A year later, Henry was faced with a difficult reality 
that the political leaders among the people he was serving no longer permitted the Latter-day Saint missionaries to do their work. As he pondered what he should do, he recalled the instruction from his previous mission president indicating that he should, quote, prolong his mission until 1859. In October of that year, Henry wrote a letter to President Brigham Young for direction, but he did not get a reply to his question. Henry recorded, open quote, not being able to hear anything from the presidency of the Church, I called upon the Lord in prayer, asking Him to reveal to me His mind and will in regard to my remaining longer or going up to Zion, close quote. He continued, open quote, The following dream was given to me in answer to my prayer. I dreamt I had arrived in Salt Lake City and immediately went to President Young's office where I found him. I said to him all in the dream, President Young, I have left my mission, have come of my own accord, but if there is anything wrong in this, I am willing to return and finish my mission. In the dream, the prophet replied, You have stayed long enough. It is all right. Henry wrote in his journal, Having had dreams before, which were literally fulfilled, I had faith to believe that this also would be, and consequently I commenced at once to prepare for a start. He arrived in Salt Lake City August 29, 1860, having walked most of the way. The next day he walked into the office of President Brigham Young. Henry described that experience in these words, quote, I called upon President Young, who received me very kindly. I said to him, President Young, I have come without being sent for. If I have done wrong, I am willing to return and finish my mission. Brigham Young answered, It is all right. We have been looking for you. Henry described his joy, saying, Thus my dream was literally fulfilled. His joy came from a confirmation that the Lord had been working with and watching over him. He learned what is true for all of us, that the Lord's servants are inspired to know the Lord's will. And Henry Eyring had confirmed what I know as well, that the prophet of God, as the president of the priesthood, is inspired of God to watch over and care for the Lord's servants and to call them. Whatever your calling in the priesthood, you may have at times felt Heavenly Father was unaware of you. You can pray to know His will, and with the honest desire to do whatever He asks you to do, you will receive an answer. Heavenly Father will allow you to feel that He knows you, that He appreciates your service, and that you are becoming worthy of the greeting from the Lord you want so much to hear. Open quote, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. It is my prayer that every priesthood holder will reach out in faith to rescue every soul for whom he is responsible. God will add his power to his servants' efforts. Hearts of people will be touched to make the choices that will bring them along the gospel path towards happiness and away from sorrow. 
It is my prayer as well that every priesthood holder will feel the loving and watchful care of Heavenly Father, of the Savior, and of the prophet of God in His calling in the priesthood. I bear you my special witness that we are in the service of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. I testify that He has called you and me into His service, knowing our capacities and the help we will need. He will bless our efforts beyond our fondest expectations as we give our all in His service. I testify that God's prophet, who is the president of all the priesthood in the earth, is inspired of God. I am grateful for the examples of faithful priesthood holders everywhere. Heavenly Father and the Savior are grateful that you do your part. They know you, they watch over you, and they love you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. How beautiful to sing together and praise the Lord. 2,600 years ago, Babylon was the world's great superpower. One ancient historian described the walls of Babylon that surrounded the city as more than 300 feet thick and 300 feet high and 80 feet thick. In magnificence, he wrote, there's no other city that approaches it. In its day, Babylon was the world's center of learning, law, and philosophy. Its military might was unparalleled. It shattered the power of Egypt. It invaded, torched, and looted the Assyrian capital Nineveh. It easily conquered Jerusalem and carried away the best and brightest of the children of Israel back to Babylon to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. One of these captives was a young man by the name of Daniel. Many scholars believe that Daniel was between 12 and 17 years old at the time. Think of it, my beloved young Aaronic priesthood holders. Daniel was very likely your age when he was taken into the king's court to be educated in the language, laws, religion, and science of the worldly Babylon. Can you imagine, my young brothers, how it would have felt like to be forced from your home, marched 500 miles to a foreign city, and indoctrinated in the religion of your enemies. Daniel had been raised as a follower of Jehovah. He believed in and worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had studied the words of the prophets, and he knew of God's interaction with man. But now, at a very young age, he was a prisoner student in Babylon. The pressure on him must have been immense to abandon his old beliefs and adopt those of Babylon. But he stayed true to his faith in word and in deed. Many of you know what it and how it feels to defend 
an unpopular truth. In the internet slogan of today, we talk about getting flamed by those who disagree with us. But Daniel wasn't just risking public ridicule. In Babylon, those who challenged the religious authorities understood what it means figuratively, figuratively and literally to be flamed. Just ask Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know if it was easy for Daniel to be a believer in such an environment. Some people are blessed with a believing heart. For them, faith seems to come as a gift from heaven. But I imagine that Daniel was like many of us who have to work for our testimonies. I am confident that Daniel spent many hours on his knees praying, laying his questions and fears on the altar of faith and waiting upon the Lord for understanding and wisdom. And the Lord did bless Daniel. Though his faith was challenged and ridiculed, he stayed true to what he knew by his own experience to be right. Daniel believed. Daniel did not doubt. And then one night, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that troubled his mind. He assembled his team of scholars, counselors, and demanded that they describe the dream to him and also reveal the meaning of it. Of course, they could not. No one can do what you ask, they pleaded. But this only made Nebuchadnezzar more furious, and he commanded that all the wise men, magicians, astrologers, and counselors be cut in pieces, including Daniel and the other young students from Israel. You who are familiar with the book of Daniel know what happened next. Daniel asked Nebuchadnezzar for a little extra time, and he and his faithful companions went to the source of their faith and moral strength. They prayed to God and asked for divine help at this crucial moment in their lives. And then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a vision. Daniel, the young boy from a conquered nation who had been bullied and persecuted for believing in his strange religion, went before the king and revealed to him the dream and its interpretation. From that day on, as a direct result of his faithfulness to God, Daniel became a trusted counselor to the king, renowned for his wisdom in all of Babylon. The boy who believed and lived his faith had become a man of God, a prophet, a prince of righteousness. To all of us who bear the holy priesthood of God, I ask, are we like Daniel?
Do we stand loyal to God? Do we practice what we preach? Or are we Sunday Christians only? Do our daily actions reflect clearly what we claim to believe? Do we help the poor and the needy, the sick and the afflicted? Do we just talk the talk, or do we enthusiastically walk the walk? Brethren, we have been given much. We have been taught the divine truth of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been entrusted with priesthood authority to help our fellow men and build up God's kingdom on earth. We live in a time of great outpouring of spiritual power. We have the fullness of truth. We have priesthood keys to seal on earth and in heaven. Sacred scriptures and teachings of living prophets and apostles are available as never before. My dear friends, let us not take these things lightly. With these blessings and privileges come great responsibilities and obligations. Let us rise up to them. The ancient city of Babylon is in ruins. Its splendor is long gone. But Babylon's worldliness and wickedness live on. Now it falls to us to live as believers in a world of disbelief. The challenge is ours to daily practice the principles of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ and to live true to God's commandments. We will have to stay calm under peer pressure. Be not impressed by popular trends or false prophets from whatever area they come from. Disregard the ridicule of the ungodly, and we need to resist the temptations of the evil one and overcome our own laziness. Just think about it. How much easier would it have been for Daniel to simply go along with the ways of Babylon? He could have set aside the restrictive code of conduct God had given the children of Israel. He could have feasted on the rich foods provided by the king and indulged in the worldly pressures of the natural man. He would have avoided ridicule. He would have been popular. He would have fit in. His path might have been much less complicated. That is, of course, until the day when the king demanded an interpretation of his dream. Then Daniel would have found that he, like the rest of Babylon's wise men, had lost his connection to the true source of light and wisdom. Daniel passed his test. Ours still continues. Satan, our adversary, wants us to fail. 
He spreads lies as part of his effort to destroy our belief. He slyly suggests that the doubter, the skeptic, the cynic is sophisticated and intelligent, while those who have faith in God and his miracles are naive, blind, or brainwashed. Satan will advocate that it is cool to doubt spiritual gifts and the teachings of true prophets. I wish I could help everyone to understand this one simple fact. We believe in God because of things we know with our heart and mind, not because of things we do not know. Our spiritual experiences are sometimes too sacred to explain in worldly terms. But that doesn't mean that they are not real. Heavenly Father has prepared for His children a spiritual feast, offering every kind of exquisite food imaginable. And yet, instead of enjoying these spiritual gifts, The cynics content themselves with observing from a distance, sipping from their cups of skepticism, doubt, and disrespect. Why would anyone walk through life satisfied with the light from the candle of their own understanding when, by reaching out to our Heavenly Father, they could experience the bright sun of spiritual knowledge that would expand their minds with wisdom and fill their souls with joy. When you and I talk to people about faith and belief, don't we often hear, I wish I could believe the way you do? Implied in such a statement is another of Satan's deceptions, that belief is available to some people but not to others. But there's no magic to believe. But wanting to believe is the necessary first step. God is no respecter of persons. He is your Father. He wants to speak to you. However, it requires a little scientific curiosity. It requires an experiment upon the Word of God and the exercise of a particle of faith. It also takes a little humility, and it requires an open heart and an open mind. It requires seeking in the full meaning of the Word, and perhaps hardest of all, It requires being patient and waiting upon the Lord. If we make no effort to believe, we are like the man who unplugs a spotlight and then blames the spotlight for not giving any light. Recently, I was surprised and saddened to hear of an Iranian priesthood bearer who seemed to take pride in the fact that he had distanced himself from God. He said, If God reveals himself to me, then I will believe. Until then, 
I will find the truth relying on my own understanding and intellect to light the way before me. I don't know this young man's heart, but I couldn't help but feel terribly sorry for him. How easily he rejected the gifts the Lord was offering him. This young man had unplugged the spotlight and then seemed self-satisfied in his clever observation that there was no light. Unfortunately, this seems to be quite a popular attitude today. If we can put the burden of proof on God, we think we can excuse ourselves from taking God's commandments seriously and from taking responsibility for our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Brethren, let me be clear. There's nothing noble or impressive about being cynical. Skepticism is easy. Anyone can do it. It is the faithful life that requires moral strength, dedication, and courage. Those who hold fast to faith are far more impressive than those who give in to doubt when mysterious questions or concerns arise. But it should not surprise us that faith is not valued by society. The world has a long history of rejecting that which it does not understand. And it has particular trouble understanding things it cannot see. But just because we cannot see something with our physical eyes does not mean it doesn't exist. Indeed, there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in our textbooks, scientific journals, or worldly philosophies. The universe is filled with wonders, profound and astonishing, things that can be comprehended only through spiritual eyes. When we choose to believe, exercise faith unto repentance, and follow our Savior Jesus Christ, we open our spiritual eyes to splendors we can scarcely imagine. Thus our belief and faith will grow stronger and we will see even more. Brethren, I testify that even in the toughest of times, the Savior will say to you as he said to an anxious father on a crowded street in Galilee, be not afraid, only believe. We can choose to believe. For in belief we discover the dawn of light. We will discover truth. We will find peace. Because of our belief we will never hunger, never thirst. The gifts of God's grace will enable us to be true to our faith and will fill our soul like a well of water springing up into everlasting life we will experience true and lasting joy. Therefore, my dear friends, my beloved brethren, in the priesthood of God, whatever 
age you are at in your life right now. Have courage to believe. Be not afraid, only believe. Stand with Daniel. I pray that each one of us, young and old, will find renewed strength, courage, and desire to believe in the sacred name of our Master, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. My heart sank during a recent meeting with wonderful Latter-day Saints. The question was asked, who desires to live with Heavenly Father again? Every hand went up. The next question was, who has confidence you'll succeed? Sadly and surprisingly, most hands went down. When we perceive a gap between who we are now and who we desire to become, many of us are tempted to choose to lose faith and hope. Because no unclean thing can dwell with God, in order to live with Him again, we will need to be cleansed of sin and sanctified. If we had to do this alone, none of us would make it. But we are not alone. In fact, we are never alone. We have Heaven's help because of Jesus Christ and His Atonement. The Savior said, If ye will have faith in Me, ye shall have power to do whatsoever thing is expedient in Me. When faith is exercised, faith increases. Let's consider together three principles that will help us on our journey back to our Father in Heaven. Our youngest grandson illustrates the first principle. After learning to crawl and then stand, he was ready to try walking. During his first few attempts, he fell, cried, and gave a look that said, I will never, ever try that again. I'm simply going to keep crawling. When he stumbled his, and fell, his loving parents did not feel that he was hopeless or that he'd never walk. Instead, they held out their arms while calling to him. And with his eyes on them, he tried again to move toward their loving embrace. Loving parents are always ready, with outstretched arms, to welcome even our smallest step in the right direction. They know that our willingness to try and try again will lead to progress and success. The Savior taught that to inherit the kingdom of God, we must become as a little child. So spiritually speaking, the first principle is that we need to do what we did as children. With childlike humility and willingness to focus on our Father in Heaven and our Savior, we take steps toward them, never giving up hope, even if we fall. Our loving Heavenly Father rejoices in each and every faithful step. And if we fall, He rejoices in each effort to get back up and try again. A second principle is illustrated by two faithful saints, each deeply desirous of finding an eternal companion. Both prayerfully took faith-filled steps. Yuri, a Russian Latter-day Saint, sacrificed and saved to take a long trip to the temple. On the train, he noticed a beautiful woman with a bright countenance, and he felt that he should share the gospel with her. Not knowing what else to do, he began reading from his Book of Mormon, 
hoping that she might notice. Yuri didn't realize that the woman, Maria, was already a Latter-day Saint. Not knowing that he, too, was a member and following a prompting she had to share the gospel with him, Maria began reading in her Book of Mormon as well, hoping that he might notice. Well, when they simultaneously looked up, Yuri and Maria were astonished to see the Book of Mormon in each other's hands. And yes, after falling in love, they were sealed in the temple. Today, Yuri and Maria Kutyepov of Ronish, Russia, as eternal companions, contribute significantly to the growth of the Church in Russia. The emphasis here is not only on this couple's willingness to act in faith. It is also about a second principle. The Lord more than matches our willingness to act in faith. Our willingness to take a step is not just met. It is exceeded by the Lord's promised blessings. Heavenly Father and our Savior are eager to bless us. After all, they only ask for one-tenth of what they bless us with and then promise that the windows of heaven will open. Whenever we willingly act with faith in Jesus Christ and take another step, especially an uncomfortable step requiring change or repentance, we are blessed with strength. I testify that the Lord will guide us to and through our next steps. He will more than match our efforts with His power if we are willing to keep trying, repenting, and moving forward with faith in our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Spiritual gifts are promised not only to those who love God and keep all of His commandments, but also gratefully to those of us who seeketh so to do. Strength is given to those who keep seeking and trying. Two essential weekly signposts that mark our journey back to our Father in Heaven are the perpetual covenants of the ordinance of the sacrament and our Sabbath day observance. President Russell M. Nelson taught us last General Conference that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to us. Our devoted weekly observance of the Sabbath is our sign to the Lord that we love Him. Each Sabbath day we witness that we are willing, willing to take upon ourselves His name, to always remember Him, and to keep His commandments. In return for our repentant heart and our commitment, the Lord renews the promised remission of sin and enables us to always have His Spirit to be with us. The Holy Spirit's influence improves, strengthens, teaches, and guides us. If in remembering Him each Sabbath we turn our hearts to the Savior through these two important signposts, our efforts are again more than matched by the Lord by His promised blessings. We are promised that with devoted Sabbath day observance, the fullness of the earth will be ours. The path back to our Father in Heaven leads to the house of the Lord, where we are blessed to receive saving ordinances for ourselves and for our departed loved ones. President Boyd K. Packer taught that ordinances and covenants become our credentials for admission back into God's presence. I pray 
that each of us will always be worthy of and use our temple recommends to serve regularly. A third principle is this. We must counter the natural man's tendency to procrastinate, to put off, or to give up. As we progress along the covenant path, we will make mistakes, some multiple times. Some of us struggle with behaviors or addictions we feel powerless to overcome. But faith in Heavenly Father and in Jesus Christ is a principle of action and power. If we are willing to act, we will be blessed with strength to repent and with the strength to change. We fail only if we fail to make another faithful step forward. We will not, we cannot fail if we are faithfully yoked to the Savior, He who has never failed and will never fail us. I promise that each faith-filled steps will be met with help from heaven. Guidance will come as we pray to our Heavenly Father, rely on our Savior and follow Him, and listen to the Holy Spirit. Strength will come because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Healing and forgiveness will come because of God's grace. Wisdom and patience will come by trusting in the Lord's timing for us. Protection will come by following God's living prophet, President Thomas S. Monson. You were created that you might have joy, joy you will feel when you worthily return to your Heavenly Father and your Savior and step into their warm embrace. I bear witness of these absolute truths. Your loving Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, live. They know you. They love you. They lovingly invite you to take your next step toward them. Don't wait. Take it now. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen.